Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Genesis is an incredibly rich book, and the first few chapters of this book are amazing. It's it's interesting, Genesis, which starts at creation, so it starts at the very beginning of man, and yet it answers so many of the questions that mankind has struggled with for millennia. And, And it also answers... It's interesting because now we're in 2022, and where it starts is all the way back to the first man when God created Adam and Eve and God created the world, and yet it answers so many of the topics and the issues that feel so current and so relevant and and, and such hot-button issues in our society. And, And we go back, and Genesis really gives us the foundation of our entire faith as Christians, and it's really the foundation of all of Scripture. We're going to look at some of that next week uh, with some of those thoughts as we jump into Genesis chapter number one, but it, it answers the questions that so many of us struggle with, and at the same time deals with some of the most controversial and divisive topics that we find in our society today in 2022. Genesis answers questions like, why am I here? How did I get here? What is my purpose for life? What is the origin of life, the meaning of life? It covers important topics that man is still struggling with today in our own wisdom, men that are away from God. It it talks about things like the marriage and divorce, gender identity, what is a family, government and how is it supposed to operate, uh, global warming, creation, evolution, original sin, salvation, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, abortion, euthanasia, and more. It talks about all of these things in this this beginning book of Genesis. And if you'll stick with us in the coming months, uh, we will walk through these things systematically and see what God has for us. I really believe if we allow it, that this study will be life-changing for all of us. As I've said before, and today's going to be a little bit of information, my goal with every message that I preach, I don't know that I always succeed with this, but my goal is that there will be good scriptural information— But then beyond just what I would call head knowledge, information, it would go to application or what you might say inspiration, going, moving from the head to the heart. I don't just want us to leave today or any Sunday in this study to say, oh wow, I know more about the Bible. I know more historically. I know another fact. God didn't give us his word just for information, but for transformation. He doesn't just want us to get puffed up with knowledge to know more. It's not just this never-ending study so that I can get lifted up in pride and say, look how much of the Bible I know. It's not just for information, it's for transformation, that we would be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God wants us to learn more so that we can then live more to get more information that will then cause us to be different. The Bible talks about not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. What we learn is it changing the way that we live. If it's not, we're wasting our time. Because being a Christian is not just some academic pursuit. 
Will I learn more about a subject? No, being a Christian is falling in love with a Savior and letting that, the love of Christ, constrain us and change us. And so, as I often do when beginning a new book or study, we're going to lay a foundation with some information that maybe is a little more academic so that we can more fully understand what we're reading and studying. And this morning, the, the format of the message is going to be a long introduction with that information and then a short message at the end with, with maybe a takeaway or a thought that we can take with us. And somewhere along the way, God can give us some other things through there as well. But let's get to it. Let's learn about this supremely important book of the Bible, the foundation of our entire belief system, the foundation of our entire faith as Christians, and the foundation of all of Scripture, Genesis. This morning's message is entitled this, Where Do We Begin? Where do we begin? And we're going to look at where we begin as people uh, in the coming weeks, but where do we begin here in Genesis? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter number one, verse number one. There's so much packed in the first few words of the first verse of the first book of the Bible. We're going to begin right here, and before we get into that verse and a couple other verses this morning, I want to give us a few notes of background on Genesis. Number one, when did it take place? The events of the book that we're reading, when did it take place? When did Genesis take place? And what happens in this book, these 50 chapters? The events of Genesis span from creation to when the Israelites arrived in Egypt and grew into a nation. Uh, we believe about 1800 BC. So it ends around 1800 BC, about 1800 years before Christ came. That's Genesis 50. It began at creation. And, and, and so uh, it spans, this is interesting, Genesis spans more, the events of Genesis span more time than the rest of the other 65 books of the Bible combined. The events of Genesis span about 2,400 years, from creation until you get to the Israelites in Egypt around 1800 BC. It's covering uh, about 2,400 years of history, of events. The rest of the Bible covers less than that. The rest of the Bible covers a little less than 2,000 years. So you go from Exodus to, Re well, Revelation, you've got some events that haven't yet taken place, but you understand what I'm saying. From Exodus to Revelation, you're covering probably around 2,000 years or so, and Genesis is covering about 2,400 years there. When would it take place from creation until about 1800 BC? When was it written? It, when was it written? Sometime after the Israelites' exodus from Egypt uh, during the 15th century BC. So it was written a couple hundred years after the, the last events that are in the book took place. That's interesting, isn't it? After the exodus of the Egyptians from Egypt. Where? So when? When did, when did it take place? When was it written? Where? Where does it take place? Genesis, the events of Genesis take place in three geographical areas. How are you doing? You're going to have a quiz next week from this college class, all right? Where did it take place? 
chapters 1 through 11 take place in, in, a, in a region that is known as the Fertile Crescent. I think we have a map there that shows that green spot that's kind of the, the shape of a crescent shape there, um, where it says modern-day rock. You have Iran above it, Assyria. You've got Egypt to the left. You can see the Nile River there. That, that Fertile Crescent, what, what is called the Fertile Crescent, that's chapters 1 through 11. You have the Garden of Eden. You have those chapters 1 through 11 up until the Tower of Babel take place there, chapters 1 through 11. Then when you get chapters 12 through 36, it takes place in Israel. It takes place in what we would call today modern-day Israel, chapters 12 through 36. And then chapters 37 to 50 take place in Egypt. The Israelites have gone into bondage. That's a long story because of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. Uh, By the way, our actions, and we'll get to this somewhere down the road when we get to these chapters, our actions today have lasting consequences on the generations to come behind us. His brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt in a a pit, Potiphar's house, the prison, all of those places. God raises him up in promotion. Joseph is now the second most important man in the world at that time. His brothers are starving. They come to get food. Egypt's the only place that has food. There was a shortage of food. Gas prices were really high. Sound familiar? All of these things are happening. And, And he comes, and what happens is because Joseph is blessed, he says, hey, why don't you guys come live with me? So now you have the children of Israel, which at that time is just a family of brothers living in Egypt together and everything is good. But then a new leader comes, doesn't like them, puts them into bondage. Them selling their brother into slavery led to their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren living in bondage. Be careful the decisions you make today in your life and in your marriage and in your families. But it takes place in Egypt. So when did it take place? from creation to about 18, uh, around 1800 BC. When was it written? Somewhere around 15th century after the exodus from Egypt. Where? The Fertile Crescent, Israel, and Egypt. Those are the three locations of the events in Genesis. Who? Who wrote it? Who wrote Genesis? Talk to me, church. Who wrote it? Moses. So we can, I don't have to teach this part right here. You guys all know it. Moses wrote it. Moses, that redeemer of Israel, that one that led them out of Egypt, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, what are sometimes called the Pentateuch, or sometimes when you're reading in the New Testament and and Jesus or others talk about the law, they're pointing back to, often those first five books of the Bible are called the law, or the Jewish people still today will call it the Torah, and you hear that word Torah, that's referring to those books of Moses, those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so you have Moses who wrote those first five books, what what is called sometimes the Pentateuch or the law or the Torah. Moses wrote those those books. And uh, Moses, interesting, was born about 250 years uh, after Joseph died. So interesting because the book ends with Joseph dying. Moses wasn't born for another couple hundred years, but yet he wrote this book. Interesting. How, How could that be, Pastor Ryan? And so Genesis was written as a history hundreds, and if you go back to creation, thousands of years after the events took place. How could that be? Uh, Of course, biblically speaking, it was all done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
We believe as Christians, we should believe, Bible-believing Christians should believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that the Scripture is inerrant and the inspiration of Scripture, it is God-breathed, God-used men, human instruments, to write His divinely inspired book. And it's an inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. God uses Moses, and, and it's interesting how He uses different events of our lives, because Luke in Acts 7.22 reminds us that Moses was trained in the wisdom of the Egyptians. Egyptians. So if you know the story of Moses, he was brought up in Potiphar's house, um, he, uh, Pharaoh's house, I'm sorry, and, 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 and he was brought up, and he learned all of these things. So this, this little uh, Israelite boy, this little Hebrew boy, ends up being raised up in the wisdom of the Egyptians. In God's sovereignty, Moses had been prepared to understand all available records, manuscripts, and oral narratives with which he penned the Pentateuch under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. What is Genesis? What's it all about? What's the big picture, the big idea of the book of Genesis? It's a book of beginnings. Genesis is a book of beginnings. And it was custom in ancient times to name a book by its opening word, which is what the Hebrews did in titling the book Bereshith, which means those three words, in the beginning. So that was the name of the book when it was written. That's what the Hebrews named it because that was the first word of the first words of the book in the beginning. So where do we get the word Genesis? Well, uh, a little over a a thousand years later, somewhere around 200, 250 BC, uh, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and in around 250, 200, it was translated, what we call the Septuagint, it was translated into, into Greek. That is the Greek Old Testament. And the Greek word for beginnings is uh, geneseos. I don't know if I said seos. I'm not sure if I said that right, Pastor Jay. Brother Jay, I'm sorry. You can tell me that after church if I said that right or not. But that Greek word, it's where we get the word genesis. What does the word genesis mean? The beginning of something. We'll say that was the genesis of that relationship or the genesis of that company, the beginning of that company, the beginnings. And so it comes from that Greek word, even though it was written in Hebrew, and we adopted it uh, in in the Greek translation and then the English translation of the Old Testament, and we kept that word. And what we have now made, it's now an English word, Genesis. That's where it comes from, that name. In this book, this book of beginnings, We see the beginning of many things. We see the beginning of creation, where it all started. We're going to get into that next week. We see the beginning of mankind. We see the beginning of marriage. And I I told our starting point class, by the way, marriage and the family is a divinely, uh, it it was was a divine institution created by God. God is the, the originator of marriage, of the family, of gender, by the way, and of the church. The church is a divine institution that was established by Christ, the New Testament local church. And here's what happens. We get into trouble anytime as humans, as, as sinful creatures, we get into trouble when we try to redefine what God defined. We get in trouble when we try to, to reestablish what God established. And so today we're struggling because why? Somehow the family and gender and marriage, it was doing fine for a few millennia, but somehow we got really smart in the last decade or two or three or four, and we decided family doesn't mean what family means. 
and you love who you want to love, and, and you live your truth, and if you feel like a tree, you're a tree, and if you feel like a man, you're a man, and if you feel like a 10-year-old, you're a 10-year-old, and you define your gender, and you define your, 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 your uh, identity, if you will. You define all of those things. Here's the problem. From the very beginning, you're going to find out in the next few weeks, God figured all of that out long before we were there, and He didn't need our help in 2022 to figure those things out. And so you see the beginnings of many things, the beginnings of marriage and of sin, the beginning of grace. I'm excited to get to the oldest trick in the book from Satan, and then I'm excited the next week to get to the oldest grace in the book. And we see the beautiful picture of God's grace when man messed stuff up. We see the beginning of God's judgment, the flood in Sodom. We see man cast out of the garden, the beginning of mercy. Even when Cain murdered his own brother, yes, there was judgment, but then God showed great mercy. And we sometimes view the Old Testament God as this angry, mean, but from the very beginnings, you're going to see, yes, there were consequences to our actions, but from the beginning, God pursued His creation, and from the beginning, He made coats of, of animal skins. He wrapped up to cover their sin for them. There was the shedding of blood for their sakes. To, from the beginning, you're going to see the love and the mercy and the grace and the long-suffering of our God, the beginning of redemption. You'll see things in Genesis, this book written some millennia, thousands of years before Christ would be the incarnation of Christ, before Christ would walk on earth. You'll see pictures of Christ from the very beginning. You'll see God pointing to his son, that, that savior, that redeemer, that once and for all sacrifice from the very beginning of this book, the beginnings of the gospel, the beginning of Israel. This book is foundational for our faith. And it's interesting, there are some pastors and some Bible teachers today that sometimes it seems will come out with a, some well-known pastors in America at times will come out with different phrases about how the Old Testament is kind of unnecessary and we just need to focus on the New Testament and we don't really need that. And Pastor, why are you going through an Old Testament book on a Sunday morning? It's interesting that Genesis is quoted word for word scores of times in more than 15 books of the New Testament. I want to give you the outline for the book. It's a, it's a two-part outline. Genesis can be split up into two main divisions. Number one, God's created world. God's created world, chapters 1 through 11. The first section of the book, chapters 1 through 11, is God's created world. And in God's created world, we see four major events. Chapters 1 through 11, there are four major events in God's created world. Number one, we see the creation of the world. God creates everything perfectly in chapters 1 and 2. By the way, we're going to see this narr the narrative of the whole Bible. You're going to see it over and over throughout Genesis. What is the narrative of the whole Bible? We have the creation of man, the fall of man, the judgment of man as he sins, and then the redemption or the grace. That's the narrative of the whole Bible. That's the story. The Bible is not 66 disconnected books. The Bible is one story, and that story is that God created man. Man messed up. There are consequences for man's mess-ups, and God provides the answers for man's mess-ups. Creation, fall, uh, judgment, redemption. That is, and you'll see that all through Genesis, but we have creation of the world, a perfect, perfect, sinless world in chapters 1 and 2, but then we have the second major event, the fall of mankind. Chapters 3 through 11, we see a downward spiral. Very early, man begins to mess up what God made. 
The third event is God pours out his judgment through Noah's flood. By the way, the Bible says that this was the worst period in human history. Here's what the Bible says. When is Christ, we believe uh, as, as believers, the Bible teaches a rapture of the church. We believe that God is coming back for, his, for those that are saved, and he'll take us to be with him in heaven forever. And, and do you know the, what the Bible says about what it's going to be like? It's going to get so bad that he's going to have to come back. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days when the, son, the coming of the Son of Man, when he comes back for us. You know what that tells us? Sometimes we, we, we get a little recency bias. We feel like we're living in the worst time in the world. You know why we feel that way? We watch too much news. And we feast on too much negativity. And it's the whole world. Here's, here's the reality. We have more access to the struggles and the, the events and the traumas and the hurts and the sins of the world. We can find out about what, what wicked thing happened in a country in Asia and Europe and South America and Africa all within 30 seconds or a minute of it happening. And so in some ways we start feeling like, well, it's just hopeless. If you're not careful, I don't feel this way, but sometimes people feel this way. It's just hopeless in this generation. I don't, I don't know if, if it's possible. I think, I don't know, pastor, I think we're about about done with the church. I think the church is about to be closed down. The Bible says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're not going to close the church down. Now, this church might close down if we choose not to follow Christ, but the church of Christ will reign supreme. He will not allow the gates of hell to prevail against his church. Well, I don't know, pastor, it's just, it's not like it was when I was growing up. It might not be, but it's not as bad as when Noah was growing up. Well, I don't know if kids these days, I'm so glad I, I'm not raising kids these days. Hey, if Noah can live for God in his day, if Noah can please God in his day, you and I can live for God in our day. By the way, Noah's kids messed some stuff up, but they all got on the boat. That ark is a picture of salvation. If Noah's kids can grow up and choose obedience to God, your kids and mine can grow up and choose obedience to God. Don't buy into the lie that this is the worst time in the history of the world, and it's so bad, and this and that, and California, and America, and, and Democrats, and Republicans. God is still on the throne, and it's not as bad as it once was back in Genesis. So we have Noah's flood. If Noah could live righteously then, you and I can live righteously and obediently by faith now. And then the last event of God's created world in chapters 1 through 11, man tries to build a tower to heaven. He builds the Tower of Babel. And God, at that Tower of Babel, the Bible, and we'll get there, God scatters them. He confuses the languages. So at that time, they all spoke one language. And immediately, God says, I, these guys, man, what, what just happened? You ever feel that way with your kids? Like, what, how did they learn that? Where did they get that? You ever talk to your wife? Hey, honey, your kids ever, ever do that? Hey, hey, honey, your son, my son, why is he my son now? Hey, honey, your daughter? No, that's your daughter. That's exactly how your mom always acts. You're, that's, that's, that's not my mom. And uh, are we the only ones that have those conversations at our house? That's it? You ever feel that way? And God, I, I think kind of like, what, what are these kids doing? What's going on? And so he confuses the languages and he scatters them. And they go to different places at the Tower of Babel. That happens. And so we have really kind of some of the first judgment there as they're scattered. But in Genesis 12, after that judgment, we see God's plan for redemption begin to unfold. So we have God's created world, the second portion, the second section, if you will, of this outline of Genesis. We have God's chosen people. God's chosen people, chapters 12 through 50. 
And in this passage, in, in this section of Scripture, these 38 or so, 39 chapters, we have four major characters. So in God's created world, we have four major events. In God's chosen people, we have four major characters. The first character, oh, by the way, let me, before I get to the first character, beautiful side note. I love this. And God's word is so beautiful in so many ways. But Genesis, the structure of Genesis shows us that God cares way more about people than he does about stuff or even his creation as far as this world. Let me illustrate. Did you know, and you can jot it down and look at it later, the vast universe of billions of stars, and you study our, our universe and it's a wild thing. You study that, it's, it's, it's mentioned with a single thought in Genesis 1 verse number 16. Here's what it says. To describe the, all of the stars, all the Milky Way, all of the universes, all of that stuff. You know what the Bible says? You know what, what God, what, what Moses under the inspiration of God, you know what he wrote down about that? He made the stars also. This whole universe is recorded with, he made, number one, it shows the power of God that he could do all of, but here's what the focus is. He made the stars also. That's how much time is given to all of the solar system, to all of those things. However, the details of the life of Joseph are given over the course of 14 chapters. Chapters 37 to 50. God is so interested in people. God loves you. God is interested in you. And he made the stars also. But let me tell you about Joseph's story for 14 chapters. So in chapter 11, we see God scattering rebels. But in chapter 12, we read of the beginning of God's plan to redeem his people. The redemption story that would, that would, that would end and culminate with the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ begins begins right here in chapter number 12. In chapter 12, we see God begin a plan to put a plan in place to bring them all back to himself. Chapter 11, he scatters them. Chapter 12, the redemption story begins. How am I going to bring them all back to myself? How am I going to give them an opportunity for salvation? And all of that, the redemption story hinges on what is the most crucial event in the Bible between the fall of Adam and the birth of Christ. Would you go with me to Genesis 12. I told you Genesis 1. We'll skip back to Genesis 1 here in a minute. I want you to look at Genesis 12. Genesis chapter number 12. As it relates to the Bible narrative, the most crucial event between the fall of Adam and the birth of Christ is right here in chapter number 12, verse number 1. Would you read verses 1 through 3 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." The call of Abram. This call sets off the story of the rest of the Bible. God calls Abram out and says, I'm going to make a great nation of you. We, there's a little kid's song they sing, Father Abraham. Father Abraham is the story, Abraham is the father of what we would call the Jewish nation uh, of Israel. The father there, he's the patriarch. 
And it was through the Jewish people that God said, I will bring my son, a Messiah, your savior, not just for the Jewish people, but a savior for the whole world. And so here in Genesis, we have, that is the story. And really the rest of Genesis from Genesis 12, it focuses on this family line and some events that happen and different things, but it focuses on this family line, this very God's chosen people, this special family line that would come from Abraham. There are four major characters in the rest of Genesis, what we call the patriarchs, the fathers of God's chosen people of Israel. And the four major characters are Abraham. We'll see the story of Abraham, the miracles of Isaac, the, the sin with, with, um, with Hagar and Ishmael, and to, to this day, the Palestinian, what we would call the Palestinian conflict. To this day, all the war that rages in the Middle East, it points back, it comes back to what we find in Genesis from that one man right there. All the conflict that we have between the Arabs and the Jews comes from Genesis, from this one character. I told you, so much of our cultural today, what's relevant today, the answers and the, the origins are found here in the book of Genesis. Uh, we have Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and Lot, Abraham and Lot, and Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of those things. And then the next uh, uh, major character, we have Isaac, Abraham's promised son, that one that came to him in his old age. Isaac takes a wife. He has twins, Jacob and Esau. He's deceived by Esau. Jacob was that firstborn, the one that had the blessing and the birthright that was supposed to have that. And that's the third major character is Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel after he wrestles all night with an angel. Jacob ends up having 12 sons. We're going to go through all of this. Jacob's 12 sons are what then become the 12 tribes of Israel. Every person with Jewish blood in their lineage can point their ancestry back to Abraham, but can point them back to one of those 12 sons of Israel, Jacob, who became Israel, point them back to the 12 tribes of Israel, of Jacob there. Jacob's favorite son was Joseph. And much of the, the, the finish of the book is Joseph, and it's a beautiful picture of redemption, how God turns evil into good. And Jacob's beloved son uh, rescued his brothers who hated him. Does that sound familiar? A beloved son rescues his brothers who hated him, a picture of Jesus Christ. All through Genesis, you say, Jesus doesn't come onto the scene uh, until, until Matthew, right, Pastor Ryan? The first book of the New Testament. Oh no, Jesus is on the scene. I don't mean that irreverently, but Jesus is on the scene, Genesis 1-1. He's on the scene from the first words of Scripture. And we're going to look at all of that. I told you today, a little more academic, answering some of these questions, but understanding what we're reading and what we're studying. So now, the final few moments, here's the message. What's the application I want you to see, I want you to contrast, go back to Genesis 1. I want you to see Genesis 1. We're going to look at the first verse, and we're going to look at the very end, Genesis 50. So if you want to get to those two spots in your Bibles, Genesis 1 and Genesis 50. We're going to look at the first, first verse of the book that we're going to start studying, and we're going to look at the last verse of the book, and then we're going to give an application. Because it's really a picture of our lives as well. Genesis 1, would you read Genesis 1, verse number 1 aloud with me. Ready? Begin. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So where do we begin? Genesis 1, verse number 1, we begin with God's perfect creation. 
Everything is perfect. It's life. In the beginning, God created. God breathes, and God makes the—we're going to look at the seven days of creation, really the six days, and on the seventh day He rested. We're going to look at all of those things, and animal life, and plant life, and human life, and where it came from. We're going to talk some about where do we—the evolution, and why those things cannot be true according to Scripture. And we're going to look at theistic evolution. Is that the answer? And what does the Bible teach? We're going to look at all of those things in this study. But we have the very beginning. Where do we begin? God's perfect created world. Now, I want you to look. Man gets involved a little bit, and look at the last verse, Genesis chapter number 50, verse number 26. Would you read Genesis 50, verse number 26 together with me? Ready? Begin. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Quite a contrast, isn't it? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So Joseph died. Whoa, where did death come from? So Joseph died, and he was put, see the last phrase, he was put in a coffin in Egypt. What? One of the patriarchs? Why is he in Egypt? Egypt, a picture of the world, death in a foreign land. God's people were not supposed to be in Egypt. They were supposed to be in Canaan, that promised land uh, uh, that God had promised to them. What we see in that last verse is failure, is fallenness, is brokenness. How did we get there? Turn to Genesis chapter number three, please. Genesis three, the last place we'll turn. I want you to see it. How did we get there? We, 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 where do we begin? We begin with this perfect creation. Where do we end? We end in a coffin in Egypt. How how did we get there? How did we get to that coffin in Egypt? Genesis chapter number three, verse number one. The Bible says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice this. One of the very first things that Satan did was he cast doubt upon God's word and upon God's plan. Is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant? And by the way, some four, five, six thousand years later, he hasn't changed his tricks very much. You know what he still does to you and to me? He casts doubt on God's word and God's plan. Well, what, what is it that you're missing out on? What kind of fun and pleasure and fulfillment that the world has to offer that God's keeping from you in that one tree in the middle of the most perfect place? And isn't it just like us humans to be given everything but to only focus on the one thing that he didn't give us? God, you gave me a beautiful wife, a beautiful family, beautiful, whatever it might be, a beautiful, whatever it is, you gave me this job, you gave me your love, you gave me your son, you gave me your word, but God, I want that. I want that one thing that you didn't give me that I think I'm missing out on. But notice what it says in verse number two, and the woman said unto the serpent, oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. No, God's been good to us. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God just warned us. He's trying to help us. He doesn't want, he doesn't want heartache in our lives. Notice what Satan says, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Come on. That doesn't make any sense. By the way, what Satan told her in some ways was true, but it wasn't all the truth. When we go to court, what do they tell you? You put your hand on the Bible, you raise your hand, you should tell the truth, the and why do they say all three of those? Because you can tell the truth and not tell the whole truth. It's called deceiving. You can tell the truth and add some stuff to it, and it's not nothing but the truth. 
And here, he said, you shall not surely die. Well, he was right. She didn't drop over dead like it was full of arsenic, but from that day forward, there was a death came upon all men. There was a death of their innocence. There was a death in their relationship with God. There was a death in a part of God's plan for their lives. He told the truth, but he didn't tell the whole truth, and he's still doing the same thing to you and to me today. He says, go do this. You're going to love it. It's going to feel good. And you know what? He's right. But what he doesn't say is it's going to cause great heartache to your parents' lives. It's going to break your spouse's heart. It's going to destroy your your relationships with your immediate or extended family. Oh, this is going to feel really good. You're going to love that. He's telling the truth, but he's not telling the whole truth, and he's not telling nothing but the truth. I think that was a double negative. I don't know if that was right, but you know what I'm trying to say there. Look what it says here in verse number five. For God, here's what Satan says, God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. By the way, that was true, but it just wasn't good like he tried to make it seem. Their eyes were opened, but it wasn't all they had hoped. Be careful what you wish for. Don't, don't, don't give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. So where do we begin We begin in perfect creation. Where do we end? In a coffin in Egypt. How did we get there? We get there, I would suggest, number one, with our thoughts. He he puts wrong thoughts in our minds. What are you missing out on? What what is God's plan holding you back from? Man, what is your plan that would be so much better? You'd feel so much better. You'd know some things. You'd enjoy some things that God's trying to keep from you. We get there with our thoughts, and our thoughts lead to our actions. Look at the next verse. And when the woman saw that the tree, be careful what you look at, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, what is her actions? It says she took. When she saw, he started, yeah, that's true. And wait a second, that does look good. Oh, let me try that. And when she took her thoughts, led to her action, she looked, she held, she got too close to what God had forbidden. We do the same things in our lives with relationships, with computers, with smartphones, with friends, with teenagers getting together with the wrong crowd. What happens? We start looking at some things that God never intended us to look at. We start pondering some things that God never intended us to ponder. That, that person, that coworker at work that you're talking to in ways that aren't real appropriate, and, and you're starting to think about some things. He starts in the thoughts, and it leads to some actions. And then notice, not only actions, but involvement. She took. She, she took, so she's holding it. There's some actions. And then it says, and did eat. Involvement. And not only that, we don't only usually involve ourselves. Our sin ends up affecting those around us. And all, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And then look at verse number seven, it led to consequences. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. We're going to get there, but as an industry, they tried to cover their own sin, but they did it in the wrong way. And it affects their relationship. How do we get to a coffin in Egypt? Starts with some temptations in our thoughts, and it leads to actions. We start to hold it and think about it and ponder it, consider it. Those actions lead to involvement. We actually partake of the fruit, and that always leads to consequences in our lives. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? What's the rest of the story of Genesis? May I just say in closing, where do we go from here? We turn to the Redeemer. We run back to God. What was their immediate reaction when they messed stuff up? They ran from God, didn't they? Every day God came, and God, one of the reasons he created man was to have fellowship with man. 
And they had this wonderful, beautiful, open fellowship and relationship. God had given them a beautiful place to live, beautiful relationship with Adam and Eve. He realized Adam needed a human companion, so he gave him Eve and beautiful plan. And all of a sudden, God comes walking. Now, God knew, but God comes walking, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. Adam, Eve, where are you at? And what happens? What did they do when they realized they had messed up? They ran from God. And God comes, where are you guys at? Why why are you hiding? Where'd you get those clothes? Why do you need clothes? These are all rhetorical questions. He knew. What do they say? Oh, oh, because we're naked. Who told you that? Well, our, our eyes were open and it wasn't all that we thought it would be. We took of the fruit that you told us not to take of and didn't realize. And you know what happened? Were there consequences for their sin? Yes. But did he give up on them? No. And when they messed it all up, they ran from God. But what should we do? When we find ourselves in that spot, we should run to the Redeemer. That's what God is going to do. Moving on from Genesis, he's going to say, don't run. Let me redeem you. Let me love you. Let me forgive you. Let me give you a new life. At the end of the book, Satan looks like he's won, doesn't he? Joseph in a coffin in Egypt. At the end of the book, Satan looks like he's won. His rebellion against God's creation appears to have succeeded. Death has touched all of Adam's sons to this point. And the last hero in Genesis, who is Joseph, fades away. The book that begins with creation ends with a coffin. And by the way, in our own strength, that's the best that life, that's the best where it can go. It starts with wonder and it ends with a coffin. Oh, but God isn't done yet. Genesis is just a book of beginnings. By the way, redemption is all through Genesis, but God isn't done at Genesis. The rest of the Old Testament is God telling his people, I love you. Come back to me. I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you a Savior. I'm going to send you a covering for your sins. I'm going to send you the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'm not not done yet. My story isn't told yet. And may I just stop and say this morning, you might find yourself, you feel like maybe in a coffin in Egypt. You've brought some death into your life. You've brought some pain into your life. Some things you've done, you've eaten some fruit that you shouldn't have eaten of. You've done some things that have brought some brokenness and some tears and some heartaches. But I just want to say this morning that God isn't done with you. That might be a chapter of your story, but that's not your whole story. God can and will and wants to rewrite your story, but we can't run from him. We have to run back. Oh, come to the altar. His Savior's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So yes, it ends with a coffin in Egypt, but I love the fact, where was that coffin in the mightiest nation on earth at the time, Egypt? But God knew what he was doing. He knew exactly where to leave Joseph's coffin, and as we'll study as we continue on some point down the road in Exodus, the stage was set for God's great redemption and resurrection where he would show the world that no nation on earth, not even the greatest of superpowers, Egypt, could stop his plan. And so he leaves Joseph's coffin in Egypt. The book of beginnings ends, but God's business is not nearly finished yet. And again, what's the takeaway for us today? Have you messed up God's plan for your life? I have. Have you fallen short of the glory of God? I have. Have you not been the man, the woman, the friend, the the son, the daughter, the sister, the husband, the aunt, the uncle, the wife, the child that you should have been? I have. Do you live with great regrets? Genesis is full of stories of failure and redemption. Judgment and second chances. 
Plans being fulfilled through humanly impossible means. And I want us to remember as we walk out this morning, God is not finished with us today. Genesis teaches us that in the midst of wrath, God remembers mercy. He is the animal slain to cover our nakedness. Christ is the ark that will carry us safely through the storms of cataclysmic judgment worldwide. He is the sacrificial lamb substituted for Isaac. He is the brother sold for a few pieces of silver who saves his family. Genesis shows us so much of who God is and how he loves us in spite of our failings. This is a book of beginnings. Come back to him. Where do we begin? We begin, we'll see it next week, with God at the center of it all. In the beginning, God. Beautiful creation, coffin in Egypt. How do we get there? We get too close to some fruit we shouldn't be looking at, we shouldn't be tasting. And there are consequences to that. But even in the midst of that, Genesis shows us he's long-suffering, plenteous in mercy, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Pastor Ryan, you don't know what I've done. I've, I've gone too far. I've done too much. God can't love me. God can't forgive me. God can't use me. May I just say, but where, where, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Man cannot mess up God's plan. Man is not powerful enough to overrun God's redemption plan. God can save you. He can forgive you. He can restore you, and he can use you. And Genesis is a picture that, yes, there are consequences to our sin, but there's a God who is greater than the consequences of, than, than, than those consequences. He can use you. He can restore you. He can forgive you. And he does love you. Run back to him. Don't run from him. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.